Happy Friday, Story Fam, and happy new month. Believe it or not, September is upon us, which means we Houstonians can expect our average high temperatures to plummet from 101, maybe 99 this month. But hey, fall is just around the corner. Before I get into this week's reflection, I want to acknowledge what a brutal week our neighbors to the east have been having in the aftermath of Hurricane Ida. I've spoken with a few of my friends there who are pastors in and around New Orleans, and they all agreed that the most urgent need right now is simply financial. The folks who are struggling the most right now, without a place to go or without power, without some steady source of food even, could really use like a Walmart gift card or something to get them through the next couple of weeks and even to feed their families, you know. And we know that whenever and wherever our neighbors are hurting, the Story Church has always responded with love and generosity. And I know that this moment's going to be no different. So, guys, here are three ways you can help right away in responding to the needs of folks in Louisiana who are struggling right now. Number one, you can bring Walmart gift cards. I'm thinking maybe $25 to $50 a piece with you to in-person worship and drop them in the offering boxes that are hanging on the walls, both at River Oaks and Timber Grove campuses. And then we'll take those and get them to New Orleans uh, next week as soon as possible. Number two, you could purchase those Walmart gift cards online and send them to us at info at the story.church, info at the story.church. We'll print them out and send them to New Orleans as soon as we receive them. And again, like not everybody likes Walmart, but it's uh, just so handy right now. They're everywhere all over Southeast Louisiana. Walmarts are so, and they're open. So it's just a good way to be helpful. And the third way is if you'd like to make a special gift, financial gift to hurricane relief by visiting the story.church slash give, be sure to type hurricane relief in the notes section of that gift. And uh, we'll buy the gift cards with the money that you send in. We'll get those right away to New Orleans. So thank you in advance for all of your incredible faithfulness and generosity. Let's obviously continue to be in prayer for our neighbors in Louisiana, as well as other parts of the country that were in Ida's destructive path. Be sure to join the story in person or online this Sunday as we begin Ask Me Anything, that much-anticipated new sermon series in which you, my story fam, get to decide the topic of each week's message throughout the month of September. We've received so many of your questions that there's just no way we'll be able to address all of them with a sermon. With that in mind, I'm hoping to tackle as many of your questions as possible in other avenues, such as this Friday email. Last week, I shared some thoughts about a question that came in on the topic of hell. And today, I'm going to respond to that question that that was the second runner-up in this week's online poll. Uh, and that question you'll see or you'll hear in just a moment. So stay tuned and uh, we'll get right to this week's reflection. The question is, how does God choose who lives long, healthy lives, who suffers, and who dies young? My friend Philip was the guy that every guy wanted to be and the guy that every girl wanted to be with. He was 6'3", athletic, smart, and funny. He was also one of my best friends when I grew up. We grew up together in the same small town in Northeast Texas. We were baptized at the same country church. We played on the same baseball team for most of our childhood. Then, in the blink of an eye, Philip was gone. On July 31st, 1995, he turned his Chevy pickup in front of an 18-wheeler, and he was killed instantly. Our tiny, tight-knit community was in shock. 
Within hours, we all converged on Philip's house to comfort his family. I was 16 years old, and I'd, I'll never forget standing in the garage with Philip's dad and his brother as they tightly hugged pictures of Philip and sobbed. A local preacher tried to comfort Philip's dad by saying, I guess heaven's team needed a good third baseman. And then he asked us to hold hands as he led prayer. And he said something like, we don't understand why things like this happen, Lord, but your word promises us you'll never give us more than we can handle. Looking back, I can't imagine how those words must have sounded to Philip's dad in that moment. He rarely stepped foot in church again after that day. I guess losing a child is more than anyone can handle. And that happens all the time, right? So when Christians say things like, God will never give you more than you can handle, it feels a little condescending, a little dismissive to those who have been utterly broken by the hand that they've been dealt. There are two things to remember about that phrase. There's the the phrase that God will never give you more than you can handle. First, it's clearly taken out of context. That phrase is not actually found in Scripture, but it's loosely based on 1 Corinthians 10.13, a passage where the Apostle Paul is obviously addressing how God helps us avoid too much temptation and sin, not how he shields us from pain and loss. The passage goes like this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So clearly it's taken out of context. At least we're taking liberties with the passage to say that this means God will never give you more than you can handle. Second, I think we need to deal with the assumption that God gives us everything that comes our way. Now, theologically, this is a little complicated, but I'll try to boil it down as simply as possible. Some Christians talk as if every single thing that happens in the world must be God's perfect will. But not even Jesus believed that everything that happens is God's perfect will. That's why Jesus taught us to pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. If it was a given that God's perfect will always wins out on earth every day with every little thing that happens, Jesus wouldn't have instructed us to pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. It would be a given. The fact is, some things that happen to people in this life, on this fallen earth, are not the perfect will of God. The fact is, some of the things that have happened to you were not the perfect will of God. And sometimes people are given way more than we can handle in this life. Like Philip's dad, for instance, and just about any parent who manages to survive the nightmare of burying their own child. I imagine there are people in Afghanistan right now who feel as though their pain and their fear is more than they can handle. The same may be true for those who've lost loved ones to COVID-19 throughout this pandemic, or those who are picking up the pieces in the wake of Hurricane Ida. The real conundrum for Christians here is that even if some tragedies that occur are not the perfect will of God, we must acknowledge that God has the ability to keep these tragedies from happening. So why does God choose to allow certain tragedies to befall certain people? I wish I knew. Perhaps we'll all know the answers in heaven one day. But for now, all there is to do is trust the promises of God. And in the Bible, God never promised that he would be our almighty helicopter parent who protects everyone from every dreadful thing. Instead, 
When it all is falling apart, God has promised to first draw near to you. Psalm 34, 18 says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. He doesn't wait for you to get it together. He doesn't wait for you to get back in church. He finds you in your darkest places and he shows you the way out. Second, God promises to refine your character through suffering. Romans 5, 3 and 4 says, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. God will take something that wasn't his will for your life and turn it around for good. He will use your pain to make you stronger, and as you recover, he will give you more opportunities to help other people who are going through something similar to what you have just survived. Third, God promises to restore your strength after suffering. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. That's 1 Peter 5. 10. As you heal, God will strengthen and establish you again, giving you the courage to shed the victim mentality that so often keeps people in darkness. Y'all, you may not believe it now, but there will soon be a time when you look back on your worst day and see how God was with you, strengthening you, refining your character, drawing near to you all along. Once again, I'll share this passage from Psalm 34, 18. I invite you to memorize it today and just repeat it to yourself as often as possible. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. I love you all so much. Have a great weekend. I hope to see you on Sunday for the beginning of our Ask Me Anything sermon series. Bye, everybody.